Welcome to a Longer Table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. I'm with a friend that I met a couple of years ago in Indianapolis at a women's event, and her name is Sarah. She started this organization called Unconditional uh, back in 2012, and it exists to encourage, empower, and equip women who are in the adult entertainment and sex industries. And Sarah was just someone I met at the table, um, this round table at this event, who, who struck me as someone like, if we lived near each other, we would totally be friends. And I loved what she was about. Um, she started Unconditional in 2012 while she she was interning at a church in downtown Indy. Um, after graduating from Indiana Wesleyan, which you may or may not know is the kind of rival college of where I went, which uh, I went to Bethel for those who don't know. And she has a degree in art therapy. She still lives in Indianapolis on the east side with her husband of six years and their dog, Ruby. Um, what else to tell about Sarah? She stays sane through baking pies, watching way too much reality TV. So she's super normal, you guys. Like she's not, uh, she's not a saint, even though I love her and she's doing great work. She believes that friendship with people different from you is what really the gospel is all about. And the only thing that's going to change the world. So hopefully by now you can see several reasons of why I wanted her to be on the podcast. Um, but the last couple of things I want you to know about Sarah before we dive into this conversation are that she grew up a sheltered pastor's kid. Uh, she's a PK in a small rural town with her four sisters. So you're going to find this conversation, I think, to be even more, it's already going to be incredible. And I think knowing that background part of her is going to make it stand out to you even more. Um, And last but not least, I love ending on this note, her favorite compliment that she's ever received is that she has the heart of a stripper. Sarah, welcome to the table. (laughs) Hi, welcome. Why did I tell you welcome? Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. I am so glad we finally got to make this happen. It's been a long time coming. And I want to actually just start with your relationship with God and faith, because I think you have, um, you're just really honest about it. So (laughs) describe that to me. What, what would you say presently your relationship with God and faith is? Uh, hot mess, (laughs) Um, which I feel like you know, we, we talk about this a lot at Unconditional actually is how like in, in Christianity and in the church, like there's, there's this expectation on people who are in leadership roles, um, especially in ministry and things like that to always kind of be in a great spiritual spot. And if you're not, it's like, oh, well, you better take a break from leading. And I really found actually my best leadership is when it's kind of a hot mess um, because I feel like that's what people can actually relate two more. Um, I feel like if you are doing, like, if you are doing what God's asked you to do, um, then your faith is probably actually a little bit of a hot mess. If you're not just kind of playing church and going through the motions. Preach. Um, We've had a real, 2020 was by far the worst year of my life. Um, Mm. and just a lot happened and it's kind of left me in the place of like, okay, what, what was that? And what happens when God calls you to things and it sucks yeah. <laughs> essentially. Um, but anyway, yeah, like I, I grew up a pastor's kid. Um, I had a really amazing upbringing and, um, I really didn't have a lot of the stereotypical like nineties evangelical, like super conservative upbringing. Like my parents definitely, you know, um, 
Christians and and pastor, but my dad always really encouraged us to think for ourselves about what we believe. Um, that's like what I'm most grateful for from my upbringing. Cause then when I became an adult, I don't, I didn't really go through a period of like, oh, this was just forced down my throat and I don't know what I think now. Um, mm. I mean, I was always like, figure out your own theology, figure out what you think. Like me and my sisters, we all have fairly different like political views, theological views and things like that. Um, but which is yes. cool because you grew up under the same roof, but yet right. they clearly cultivated an environment where you are empowered to think for yourself and like do yeah. work. That's yeah. awesome. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And that's, and that's how we do unconditional too, is like, I, I like to encourage women to think for themselves for what they believe and not just like, well, if you're, if you're here and you're a part of us and you're going to believe X, Y, and Z theological things. And like, when they ask me theological questions, I'm like, well, here's some books to read or read this passage or, you know, think, just ask questions. I'm not afraid of, of questions. Um, I don't know if I answered your question, but it was kind of. You did. You totally did. Trail. <laughs> okay. No, no, you're good. Um, I, I love that. And I would agree with you that outside of like when your character is totally out of whack and you're just living like a double life, right. you don't have th- that being the exception, you don't have to take a break from ministry or quote unquote doing work for God just because you feel distance from God or, or that relationship is a little off. Like, I, I love that you said that because I think more people need to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I want to know, and maybe this will answer why 2020 was such a painfully hard year for you, but how have your beliefs spurred you to action? Like, I want to know, uh, because I, I think I have some ideas here, but many people live the American dream with a side of Jesus and they don't live. Mm -hmm. And that I I quote that all the time. It's a Shannon Martin quote. Um, Mm -hmm. and they don't myself included. Okay. I'm not like calling people out without, you know, and, and saying I'm above this, but like when we do believe the gospel, it should compel our lives to look differently. There should be like some shifts. So Mm -hmm. I want to know for you, what have some of those things been? Yeah. Yeah. I think like when you, when you grow up in Christian culture, then like you kind of are fed this idea through just the culture at large, not just necessarily like your upbringing is like, if you're a Christian, you will prove that you're Christian through like not cussing, not getting drunk and not having sex. Dude, that's so spot on. (laughs) And it's like, okay, like if that's all that people are knowing, what being a Christian is like, like I always like heard people say like, well, people ask questions when you like, when you don't cuss and you don't drink and they're like, Oh, why? And then you can tell them about Jesus. And I'm like, that sounds like Christians are just the buzzkill at the party. And why would anyone want to be a part of that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's all behavior focused, right? It's just behavior modification. And, um, you know, there were some pieces of that in my upbringing, but really like I did see my parents live like a very different life from other people. Um, like one of my favorite like things about my dad that I didn't find out till I was an adult was that, um, my dad always taught my like little league teams, which I was terrible, all of them and pretty much just did them because my dad coached and let me pick the names for the teams. Um, and our teams were always terrible and we always picked who I thought were like the weird kids. And, uh, then later, or like the kids that were always in trouble at school were always like on our team. And I was like, this girl stresses me out. Like, why is she on our team? And then later I found out my dad would always pick the kids who didn't have father figures in their home. 
um, just so he could be like a role model to them and build a relationship with them. And uh, just like little things like that in my upbringing, I think really impacted me. And so anyway, when um, I like got to college, then I got really involved in um, like after school program um, that was pretty much for, for kids who were facing a lot of obstacles. And I, kids, kids with obstacles have always been like my first passion. Um, and specifically like kids who have been orphaned and that looks very different in different spaces. Um, and anyway, when I got to know them, then I got to see like a lot of those kids I was interacting with their parents worked in the sex industry. Mm. And, um, honestly it was just super judgmental of that. Like I just saw how it was impacting some of these kids' lives. And it's like, just kind of like get your life together. What's your problem? Like, you suck kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. And then God really broke that down to me when he was like, you know, these women are just these kids grown up. So like, why are you going to sit here and judge them when they're still my kids? And that really just shifted my whole mindset. And then, um, I, I ended up working at a camp in Los Angeles, um, after my sophomore year of college. And, um, it was for kids mostly in, um, I hate this term, the inner city. I can't think of the other term right now, but it's like, it brings out so many stereotypes. I really, people would think now I live in the inner city and I'm like, this is, this is not a bad neighborhood. Anyway, sorry, side rants. Um, but (laughs) it was mostly for, for kids facing a lot of obstacles and, um, to prepare for camp. Then they had a shadow different ministries and nonprofits in, uh, South central Los Angeles. And one of the ministries we got to shadow actually reached out to transgender street sex workers And that was my first interaction with the sex industry. And um, what they did was they just walked the same track and build relationships with people working. And then they had a church service in the 7-Eleven parking lot at like midnight with pizza. And as we were there, like worshiping with people that I would never see in church, that wouldn't feel comfortable walking inside a church door. um, I just couldn't stop thinking about like, this is exactly where Jesus would be. Mm -hmm. Like we, we often in American culture are like, let's have this really exciting church service to attract people there. Um, But there's so many people that don't feel safe walking through church doors. And so if Christ came down to meet us where we're at, like, why wouldn't we meet people where they're at? And, you know, and not in like a savior way of like, Oh, like I hate when people are like, Oh, we got to go to the broken. I'm like, home girl, you're broken too. Right. We're all broken. (laughs) And just going to where people are because of the damage we've done as Christians. And so growing up and as a pastor's kid, I've really seen like the ugliest sides of church. And I think it's really a miracle that I am still a Christian, honestly. Um, But seeing the ugly side of church just really made me realize like we have so much damage to control to do as Christians. And part of that is going to where people are humbly, like not as like, I'm going to where you are because you're just so like broken and poor and a sex worker. Um, but going to where people are as just saying like, Hey, like I'm really sorry for how the church has treated you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I just want you to know that that's not Jesus. And I just want to be your friend. Yeah. Um, and I really saw that. Um, and that first, that mentality first kind of came to me when I got to experience that back in 2010. And I talked to a woman that night for a really long time and it totally shifted my mindset of what the industry is. And, you know, I was at a Christian college in 2010. So like people would talk about human trafficking and it was like this hot button issue. It still is. And, um, just kind of this idea of like, 
the industry is either over glamorized or over victimized. And the truth really lays somewhere in the middle. And if someone does want out, it's not as simple as just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, mm-hmm. and, and true poverty isn't lack of money. It's lack of a support system. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's lack of friendships. And I, cause I know like if I lost everything, I'm never going to be sleeping in my car. I'm never going to be sleeping on the street. Right. It, it's a world that you can't even fathom because it's so far from your reality based on the privileges you have, the support system you have. Totally. I, I hear you completely. And I want to ask you this question, or maybe you have a specific story you want to share, but you, and we're going to go back and, and still continue to unpack unconditional, but I want to focus on uh, the fact that, you know, so you clearly became aware of people who are in this adult entertainment industry. It became a big passion. You watched, um, from that experience, you watched how it could be done. It sounds like really well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, later on, a couple of years later, you start Unconditional, um, right now located in Indianapolis. And, you know, like I said at the beginning of the episode, you guys exist to equip and empower uh, these people. It's not that you exist to, quote, pull them out of the sex industry. Right. You're not, that's not mm-hmm. your mission. Right. Um, so I want you to speak to that. But specifically, if you have a story of, of like a woman or a person that's, that has, or maybe still does work in the strip clubs that you're in relationship with through unconditional. What I, I, I'm yeah. so like curious what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, like honestly, when we first began, there was definitely a men- kind of a mentality of like, we got to save them. Like, you know, like I'd like to be like, say like, Oh, I've always like been this aware of the damage from that, but that is not true. I look back at old stuff I wrote or, um, advertise and I just want to like cringe and crawl into a ball and I'm like, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. Um, that's like me with but, foster care know, in the beginning. Yeah, it's just, and, and that's what I think is really important too. Like, you know, especially in today's climate of just like cancel culture and stuff like that. It's like, we, we have to give people room to grow after they're not ignorant. I mean, I didn't know anyone who worked in the industry and then we actually, I actually started unconditional because um, when I started unconditional, I had a friend who had worked I met who had worked in the industry and really saved me a lot of embarrassment. I mean, I had some still, but she very gently like coached me through a lot of things that I would have just been so stupid. Um, but anyway, like I think like now, like when I'm able to share with women, like, you know, like I, I literally don't care what you do for a living. I want you to be safe. I don't want you to die. And statistically, you know, when we've surveyed women in our program, a hundred percent have been, uh, assaulted while working, um, whether that's physically, sexually, the, the risk is huge. And part of the risk though, is that there is such a heavy stigma of women working in the industry that, um, they don't report what happened. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had a woman get raped at work and they're like, I'm like, do you want to report it? And they're like, no, one's going to believe me. I'm a stripper. And, um, you know, a lot of times Christians can get so caught up in in the morality of dancing or other types of sex work when like in actuality, it's like, okay, can we pause the like debate on whether this is okay or not? And just focus on the fact that women shouldn't get raped at work. Period. <laughs> if women are going to work in the industry, because there's always going to be an industry, my goal isn't to stop it. It's been around since biblical times. It's not going anywhere. But if it is going to continue how do we make sure people don't die? How do we make sure women can go to work and not get raped and the rapists get away with it? Or the rapists pay enough money to keep coming back to the club and rape other women. Um, that's just not acceptable. But 
Anyway, like I, I'm sorry. I'm, there's going to be a lot of side rants and I'm going to try and reel it in. No, I, 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 I honestly, I really do welcome them. I I'm already okay. learning so much and it's leading me to other questions that I'm sure okay. uh, my listeners also have. So yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Ca- carry on. You're okay. doing great. Um, so one of my favorite stories though, about like this, this kind of dynamic of like, okay, you're going in the club. I, we do help women transition out because if you, if you don't want to work there anymore, it is almost impossible to do it on your own. Um, and it's very isolating. People don't understand. It's very hard to get work afterwards. Like you have to lie on your resume or if you don't, and you do get it hired with stripping on your resume, your likelihood of getting sexually harassed at your new job goes way up. Like you, or you get treated badly or harassed. Um, it's just, there's so many obstacles. And so we do exist to help women with that transition and be a financial bridge too, because when you are working in sex work pre COVID, the game has totally changed, but pre COVID you can make anywhere from 300 to a $1,000 a night, depending on the club and depending on the night. So you go from making that and then you decide you want to quit and maybe you don't even have a high school diploma. You're making seven to $10 an hour. <laughs> that is a very significant drop a lot of times women then have been renting places on stripper salary and their lease isn't up. And now you got a $1,200 a month payment that you're trying to pay on seven to $10 an hour. And that's how you get back in the club over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, we're a bridge for women who are trying to leave, but then also we're a support system for women who have no interest in leaving as well. Um, so one of my favorite stories is one with one of my best friends at the club, um, you know, the first time she saw it, she was like, I want nothing to do with these stupid Jesus people, which I'm, I understand. Um, and, and, then, and you like, and you like actually physically go into the clubs. Like how yes. does, yeah. Cause I also, I, I need to wrap my brain around this. Okay. Yeah. So, um, we go into six different strip clubs in Indianapolis on the third Thursday of every month pre COVID. We haven't really been much since Corona. Um, of course. Yeah. But, um, so when we go, we bring gift bags for everybody that's working there. And, um, we usually hang out in the dressing room. Mostly we try to not disrupt people while they're working. Um, and just think of it as like, okay, what, what would I be okay with someone interrupting during my work day? We try not to overstay our welcome. Um, but inside each gift bag is a contact card and it says, if you need someone to talk to, give us a call. Um, and so, uh, one time when we came into this particular club, then we brought flowers because, one of the dancers had just been murdered by her boyfriend. Um, I didn't personally know her, but it was really impacting a lot of the women. So we brought some flowers and a card. Um, and then the next month when we came, um, this girl who'd never want anything to do with us before came up to me and she's like, Hey, are you the ones who brought the flowers and the card? It's like, yeah. She's like, that was actually really cool of you. Um, and then that started kind of planting some seeds of, of just friendship and we chat some, and then she had like taken a break from the club for a while. And I hadn't seen her in a long time. And then I was at an art show downtown and I was walking on the sidewalk and we like pass each other on the sidewalk. She turned around, she's like, Sarah? She's like, it's me and said her real name. And I never knew her real name. And I was looking at her blankly and she's like, oh, it's you. And said her dancer name. And um, I was like, oh my gosh. And then we ended up exchanging numbers and then we got together for coffee. And uh, she is literally opposite from me in every single way you can think of. Um, she's like the most pro-sex work person, very proud of being a sex worker, um, you know, got like, I'm trying, I'm trying not to say like any identifying things, but, um, just, just different from me in every single way possible. And, um, 
but we're, we've became best friends. Like I threw her bridal shower, like, um, you know, she's one of my favorite people. Just come over for dinner a bunch of times. Like, I just think it's, I always tell her, I'm like, I think it's so weird. You're my friend. So I always tell her, I'm like, I know why I'm your friend. Cause she's literally like the most interesting, brilliant person I've ever met in my life. And, uh, but I just think it's so weird that she loves me. <laughs> like this weird, awkward shelter kid, pastor's kid. And, uh, she's so cool. And, um, yeah, but like, I, you know, she's taken breaks from the club. Sometimes she goes back. Sometimes she wants a longer break. And, um, you know, she literally texted me the other day. I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go back. And then she's like, I don't know why I'm telling you this. You're like my sex work confessional. Um, mm. and she was like, <laughs> she's just like, I don't know why I'm telling you something I know you don't, you won't approve of. I'm like, I don't care. Um, but yeah, yeah. Th- like, that's just, what's been really cool though. She told me, she's like, you're the first Christian I haven't hated. And, um, that's powerful. Yeah. And I take that really seriously. And I joke with her before. I'm like, if you met me my first year of doing this, you would have hated me <laughs> no matter what. Um, and she has actually helped me a ton. She's a writer. She's really smart. And, um, you know, I started running a lot of our like promo stuff by her first. And I was like, is this offensive? Like, is this going to ostracize more women from the industry? And she's so honest with me. She'll read it. She'll be like, honey, that is terrible. <laughs> and, yeah. She'll tell me what to change and how to make it less offensive and more uh, welcoming to sex workers. And she's really um, been a huge impact in me being able to do this in a way that I feel like makes women feel comfortable and not and not judged. And so I'm really grateful for her friendship. And we say like unconditional is life transforming friendship. And, and we say that because it's both ends because yeah. I feel like she's made me a much better person. Yeah. And that helps remove some of that, uh, what can typically creep in when we do this type of work, which is the saviorism, because mm-hmm. it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, And and that's similar to me. Again, I'll use the example of fostering as I've progressed in my journey and I've not only uh, sought this out, but allowed it and welcomed it and invited it into my life, which is making my relationship with my kid's mom a very mutually beneficial mm-hmm. one. So so what's been really cool about being pregnant is um like it's been one of the first times that a lot of these kids parents have something that they feel really excited and confident offering me advice on mm-hmm. and offering cuz it's like they've been pregnant I haven't. So it's just right. been cool and I love that with your friend um who works at the strip club and and that like that there's been this organic evolution of friendship where, you know, you're able to be like, Hey, is this offensive? And, you know, like rely Mm. on her and like, you you know, but it's hard sometimes to create those meaningful relationships with, with people that we don't have a ton in common with. So Mm -hmm. what are your tips for that? Because I think whether someone's going to do what you do or foster like me, maybe they're listening to this and they do want to create more meaningful relationships with people who who aren't like them or who think differently than them. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of a longer table. Yeah. So what have you found is most helpful in developing a true friendship with someone where your goal is not to like fix them or. Yeah. 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 I think the biggest thing is vulnerability, um, which I'm an Enneagram eight too. So that's, you know, not my favorite thing, but um, I've actually found, you know, I think why I feel so, welcome and and comfortable with strippers and sex workers is that most of the women I've met are like brutally honest um which I love obviously and um so I feel like I can be like a very direct 
person where in like church, I feel more uncomfortable with church women, honest, honestly, um, because I feel like, you know, especially like as an eight and I just have a big personality. It's like, I always feel kind of like I have to mellow myself and, um, especially doing this kind of work too. people like get intimidated or think like weird things about me or whatever. Um, and when I'm with women from the industry, I never feel like I have to melt. I feel like I can be my most authentic self because I know they're not going to judge me mm. um, because I'm not judging them. And uh, so there's this like very organic vulnerability that happens. Um, so I think like one of the biggest things is just being vulnerable because like if, if you're with people different from you and you're not honest about your own struggles, then it is going to come across like a different power dynamic. But if you are aware that you are also a hot mess (laughs) and that we, one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard is we all wear the same kind of shoes issues. Um, if you're aware that we all wear the same kind of shoes and it's, it's like just becomes very normal and, and natural and, and really being like open to the idea that we all actually have a lot in common. And that's what I was really surprised about too, was just like, at the, at like, especially with other women, like at the end of the day, we're all, we're all just women, you know, like, and we all have the same, like, there's so many similarities in like struggle or just goals that we want. Like everybody wants to provide for their kids. Everyone wants their kids to have a better life than them. Everybody wants to have like stability and, um, just everyone wants to be loved and known. I think that's the biggest thing it comes down to is everyone wants to feel like they belong. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had a woman in my office the other day, um, and she was crying about some family situation and she told us, she said, you know, this is the closest thing I have to family. And like um, the other people, the other women she works yeah, with, at the, the community, the community, no, uh, the community of unconditional. Oh, okay. She said being, being there and being with our groups and, and with us, she's like, this is the closest thing I have to family. Um, and so I feel like when we are just like, see that of like, everyone just wants to be long, belong, everyone wants to be loved. And, um, especially with women in the industry, I feel like people can be like, people have all kinds of stereotypes and like, oh, they just, they're not loved or they're, you know, all alone. And it's like, no, across the board, whether you are a CEO, a stripper, a pastor, what a stay at home mom, bottom line, we all want to feel like we belong. We all want like a community. We want our people. We all want to feel loved and we all want a better life for our kids or other people we care about. Like that's the bottom line of just humanity. And Mm -hmm. so when you realize that like we all have the same bottom line and it just looks different, um, then those organic friendships can come And, and doing unconditional has also just made me realize like it's really easy, especially from like growing up in nineties evangelicalism uh, to just like compartmentalize your faith of like, okay, like here is where I'm listening to the Holy spirit and I'm being really intentional, blah, 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 blah. And then, but then what I've realized is like, okay, if I'm being really intentional when I'm at the strip club of like listening to God, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to build a relationship with? And then I'm not doing that when I'm at Kroger, <laughs> I'm saying that strippers need Jesus more yep. and they're more broken. And that's not true. And God's really used that in, in all aspects of my life to just be more aware of like who, who he has in my life, not just for me to reach them, but for them to reach me, yep. to, for them to help me become closer to God and, and to understand God in a whole new way. And I think so when we look at people not as like, who do you want me to reach, Lord? Who do you want me to save? But instead look like, 
who do you want me to be <clears throat> in relationship with that is going to bring me closer to you? Hmm. And, and that can look like you being the one that helps. That can look like them being the one that helps you. Um, then I think that kind of changes everything. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I love that. It's not like you didn't give like, okay, what steps one, two, and three it's, it's so organic and it's so like from your heart and so genuine. And I love that and appreciate it so much. Um, when at the beginning of the episode, I said that, you know, one of the favorite compliments you've ever received is that you have the heart of a stripper. (laughs) Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, like I was kind of saying earlier, like I have, I have often struggled with feeling like I belong in different places, especially in the church. Um, and, uh, you know, and then I struggled for a long time when I was doing unconditional, cause I was like, I'm not a survivor. Like I'm not a survivor of the industry. I'm not next dancer. Um, I'm, I'm coming in this as someone with a completely different life experience. And so there can also, there can, there was a tension for a long time inside of me that I struggled with where I was like, I don't fit in anywhere. I don't fit in with strippers. I don't fit in at church. I don't fit in with like these women. And, you know, like in my family, my extended family is, is interracial. And so it's just like never really feeling like you fit in with one group of people. And then, um, so I struggled with that for a long time. And then one time my pastor, a couple of years ago, he was like, you know, Sarah, like, what if it's not like you don't fit in anywhere, but you fit in everywhere. And he's like, and what if it's mm-hmm. not like, oh, you got to find like where you belong, but it's that you're a bridge for people like, like Jesus was a bridge for people and Jesus didn't fit in anywhere. So like, if you don't fit in anywhere, then it probably means you're being like Jesus. Mm. And that really helped flip my mindset. So anyway, like, I feel like I just started to become a lot more comfortable in my own skin. And, um, and through that, just again, like realizing that we really are all the same um, and so anyway, like earlier this year, a girl, uh, I, I didn't meet her at the club. Um, she was actually, I had a friend of a friend refer her to me cause she had been out of the industry for a little while and was really struggling. Um, and so she introduced her to me and we became fast friends, like instantly clicked and we were able to help her with some resources and wraparound support. Um, and one day she was like, I don't, I don't believe that you've never worked in the industry. <laughs> well, I, first of all, thank you, but I really haven't. Um, uh, she's like, Sarah, just, I don't know. You just have the heart of a stripper. And I was like, that's the best compliment I've I, ever received. <laughs> I love that. That is so cool. Um, I also want to take a moment and ask you how you think the church is getting it quote unquote wrong with women who work in the sex industry specifically. I mean, we could, we could go down a list of things that the church isn't about to say, you well. want another hour. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But like specifically with women or people who work in the sex industry, I have a very limited view because I don't feel like many churches are doing anything about mm-hmm. it or like that's probably even phrased poorly, but, no, you're good. <laughs> um, whether it's, whether it's the church is completely neglecting it altogether or they're going in with the saver mentality. I, I don't know, but what do you see? How do you see the church getting it wrong or missing the mark when it comes yeah. to these types of people that you're getting to be in relationship with? Yeah, I think definitely um, the saviorism and then just like the list of rules. You know, I had a friend that uh, I've known her for like, oh gosh, like I'm going to say like four years now. Um, And she actually found us online and um, we, she's been out of the industry now for the most part for like two years and has overcome a lot. And then just recently um, became sober from um, alcohol and stopped drinking and stopped smoking weed. 
And um, not like weed is like, anyway, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> another, <laughs> another conversation for another day. Um, but for her, like weed was definitely just, she smoked all day, every day t- to not feel anything ever. Um, and so she, she'd been sober for like a month, which for her was a huge deal. Like I had only ever known her like a little, always a little high from weed. And, um, anyway, and part of that was she started going to a church that she felt really comfortable at and was really excited. And, um, she has like four kids, four kids. And then the other, and then her boyfriend had like two kids. So between the two of them, they have like six kids and they were living together. Um, mostly because of economics and her lease had ended and just kind of made sense. And, uh, she signed up to serve at this, this church and there's just to be in like their, their prayer closet to like pray during service. And they told her she couldn't cause she lived with her boyfriend. And, um, <laughs> I told her, I was like, you want me to talk to them? I will be the church lady that puts the other church people in their place. Like you give me their number. I will give them a call. She's like, no, 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 no. She knows I'll go into like full Enneagram eight protective mode. <laughs> Mama uh, bear. Yeah. Um, but in that experience, I told her, I was like, you know, like I, I, I've probably done that before. Like, I know I've done that before. I won't even be that ambiguous. I'm just like, here's this list of rules. You have to meet these expectations. You have to have it all together. Like once you know Jesus, then you got to mark all these boxes and not giving people room for understanding their story. Um, and under, and meeting people where they're at and letting people experience the presence of God no matter where they're at. (laughs) And so like for her, like she really felt like she was, she was trying to give everything to Christ and um, she felt like serving was the next step. And then she was like, she's like, Sarah, like I, I just wanted to go and get super drunk after that. It's like church didn't make me want to get drunk and high. (laughs) She's like, I felt so triggered. I felt so like, she's like, I just now I'm at the point where I feel worthy enough to even step inside a church. Mm. And now I feel like I'm just garbage and I don't belong there. And uh, I feel like that story is a really good example of just like when we, when people are seeking Christ, sometimes we're so quick to just throw this list of rules at people instead of understanding their situation. And like, it's like, we want to be the Holy spirit and we want to like throw our specific view of our theological list of expectations instead of like encouraging people to get to know God and experience that kind of for themselves. And, um, and, and someone who had been trafficked and then been in the industry for years and been on their own since they were 17 and accomplished all these things and raised four babies on their own and escaped domestic violence and like has overcome all these freaking obstacles and just got sober and you're pissed that you're li- she's living with her boyfriend and you don't even take the time to be like, wow, like you are a survivor. You have overcome all these things. The fact that you still believe in God after all these horrible things have happened to you, which I don't know if I could, but no, you, you don't, you don't live up to our expectations. Um, so I think like just that overall, like list and rulemaking instead of meeting people where they're at, where they are and truly understanding their story. I mean, over 50% of the women that we specifically work with have been financially independent since they were like 17 years old or younger. Um, and so like when you understand, like if I was 17 and I had nowhere to go 
and the foster care system failed me. My parents failed me. The church failed me. And then I stripped to survive. And then you're going to judge me for that instead of being like, actually, it's blood on our hands for not taking care of the children that Christ entrusted us with. Snaps. (laughs) So it's like we, instead of seeing where we have failed as a church to take care of people and to believe women and protect women and protect children, instead of doing that, then we just flip the script on them. They're like, well, you're not meeting our expectations. Mm. You better get it together. Um, and that is what, like, just kind of the overall where I feel like the biggest failure is of not just seeing people for who they are and, and becoming their friend instead of trying to save them. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. The, the story you shared and, and I just want to like chew on that and think about that and also reflect honestly about times in my life when I've been guilty of kind of laying out this list of expectations or, or at least having that in my back pocket or in my mind, even if it's unspoken yeah. about a person. Um, and, and I've definitely, I mean, I just want to say like, I am in recovery for being a judgmental jerk. <laughs> like I often say like strip, like strippers saved my faith, like going to strip clubs, like saved me. And I think Jesus called me to this, not to save anyone, but to save me from myself. So I stopped being such a jerk. (laughs) So it is possible to stop being a self-righteous jerk. I love that. And I feel like that's the, uh, I just want to, I mean, I'm going to prophesy into the world for a minute. No, I'm joking, but, but there's kind of some seriousness here. That's gotta be like a subtitle for your book someday. (laughs) Like that's so good. Like, yeah. The whole thing about strippers and strip clubs and uh, saving. Yeah. Oh, God is so good. I love the way that um, he works and he, she, who knows. But okay, the last thing, we could open up a lot of can of worms as two Enneagram 8s. Maybe we'll have to start our own podcast. So the last thing I want to get to as we kind of wrap up our conversation is... Really, I love ending episodes as much as possible with sort of tangible takeaways for everyday ordinary people. Me, you, everyone listening. What is our role when it comes to this? Like, Mm -hmm. are there things we could be or should be doing to support women who are either choosing the lifestyle of working in the sex industry by choice or by means of survival? Because I'm I'm sure there's both. I don't want to assume that everyone's doing it because they... X, Y, and Z reasons. Like I'm sure there are women who, like you said, your friend, like she's pro, she loves it uh, clearly. And I don't even know her. And that's, I want to meet her for sure, but (laughs) I'm sure I would, but what, yeah. What's our role? Do we have a role? Um, I don't think everyone does (laughs) and that's okay. Um, and I think there, there's a lot of different layers and, and one, like, I always say when people are always like, Oh, like, how can I get involved in especially like I get a lot of questions for like trafficking, which like trafficking and, and commercial sex work are completely different. And I could do a whole nother podcast episode on that. Um, but when people ask me like how they can get involved, you know, the number one thing I always say is like, um, get involved with, with kids in your area who are facing obstacles. Yeah. Um, because the reality is while they're, they're, women are in the industry for one of three reasons, which is choice, circumstance, or coercion, coercion meaning trafficking. The vast majority of women that I work with started in the industry because they had no other way to like survive as a teenager. Um, I, I have friends who, who started in the industry at 14, 15 years old, um, 
because they just slipped through the cracks of um, like DCS and everything else. And anyway, so like, I think one of the best ways people can get involved is, is like just taking care of our, our kids that God has. Um, that's, I mean, that's a mandate from God is to care for the orphans and widows in their distress. And um, so like, for me, I feel like I'm, I feel like I am charged with take with taking care of orphans because a lot of the women that are in our community don't have family. They, they, they don't have that. Like I'll have women who are the same age as me who text me on mother's day, happy mother's day. Mm. Um, and so, you know, like getting involved with, with fostering or adoption or, you know, and not everyone should do that, but, or being a mentor, like through big brothers, big sisters or the boys and girls club. Um, and just really investing in, in the youth around you, or if there's like a youth transitional home, like we have a few here in Indy that are really great. Um, getting involved there is, is a great starting point. And then the other, another big piece is just educate yourself. Um, we have a podcast that I was just telling you before we started this podcast, haven't updated in a while, but we have a podcast called it's complicated conversations about the sex industry. Um, and that's a great place to start just to kind of educate yourself. And I want to say, be careful with how you're educating yourself because there's a lot of like not accurate information out there, but, um, you know, just educating yourself of like, of learning from different people and podcasts and organizations and, and understanding that, um, and just understanding that sex work is incredibly complicated. Mm. Um, you know, like there's a interview with Cardi B, which I anyways, I think that someday I'm going to be best friends with Cardi B. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, but she is an ex dancer and there's an interview with her talking about like why she got started in the industry and she got started to escape domestic violence. And, um, then through this conversation, she kind of like says like the, the, basically like the industry saved her from a bad, bad situation but then that it also like ruined her life in a lot of ways too. And that a lot of the insecurities that she still deals with now is from like the constant like comments uh, from men at the club. Mm -hmm. And so I say that's true for a lot of our women is that the club or the industry can save your life and ruin your life at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that both of those things are true. Um, so just, just, just understanding that's really complicated, trying to educate yourself. Um, and then seeing if there's an organization in your area, if you're really like, yeah, like I, I think that these could be my people. I think this could be something really great. Seeing if there's an organization in your area. And if there is an organization in your area, making sure they're doing it well, um, which would be, be like, just watch their language, um, watch their graphics, watch how they talk about women. Like if there's an organization, like see like, okay, are they talking about them? Like poor little stripper kind of mentality or like making broad generalizations of like everyone's trafficked or things like that. Um, or are they seeing them as individuals? And uh, if they're seeing them as individuals, you know, like, get involved and, and see where God might have you there. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. So yeah, I hear you talking about investing in, uh, your local community, whether that's through kids, because they are going to grow up and eventually become adults. Like we, we don't right. think, or, or when we hear the word orphan, we don't think about how there are adults who are orphans who don't yeah. have family. Um, and yeah, this, this was so helpful and so enlightening and encouraging, um, I appreciate, and I've told you this before, but I so appreciate your just keeping it raw and real. Um, it is you and I both being eights, we value that so yeah. much. We don't want the fluff and the BS. And so I just, yeah, I, I think of you in a very high regard and I'm oh, so thanks. thankful you were able to be at the table with us today. So I, I just really appreciate you. 
Well, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I, I, I want, I love how you always say like, there's no one you wouldn't love if you didn't know their story. And I just think that's really true, especially with women in sex work. Like they're just, people are more lovable than we give them credit for. Mm-hmm.